0: Let us please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to first read a story of the encounter that Jesus had with an expert in God's law found in Luke 10, verses 25 through 28. One day, an authority on the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, How do you understand it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love him with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do that and you will live. Now let us read about how the Apostle Paul applies Jesus' teaching to a church in which there was a lot of division in Galatians. 5 verses 13 through 17 and 22 through 26. My brothers and sisters, you were chosen to be free. But don't use your freedom as an excuse to live under the power of sin. Instead, serve one another in love. The whole law is fulfilled by obeying this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you say or do things that harm one another, watch out. You could end up destroying one another. So I say, live by the Holy Spirit's power. Then you will not do what your desires controlled by sin want you to do. The desires controlled by sin do not want what the Spirit delights in, and the Spirit does not want what the desires controlled by sin delight in. These two are at war with one another. That is why you are not supposed to do whatever you want. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things of that kind. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their sinful desires to his cross. They don't want these things anymore. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become proud. Let us not make each other angry. Let us not want what belongs to others. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, Nancy Stiles mentioned to you that... Um, the leadership team is on retreat in Ventura, and you might wonder, why aren't you there? Well, I was there uh, until late last night, uh, but I came home because, well, I wanted to be with you, of course. That's, that, that's why I want, <laughs> wanted to come, but uh, beyond that, what we're talking about this morning it is the thing that I think if Jesus uh, were to talk to me as your senior pastor and say, this is the most important thing you can talk to the people at Lake Avenue Church about, it would be this topic. I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. I have talked about it before, uh, but today we're going to come back to this Galatians 5 passage and look at it, hopefully, in a new way, but it's, it's, it's the heart of really what it means for you and me to grow, to, uh, to follow Jesus, and what happens when our lives are, are led by and synced by the Holy Spirit. And so we look again at that text, Galatians 5, and 23, that tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. So here it is again. I think it's in front of you. Look at it carefully. So the fruit of the Spirit is, it's love and joy, peace Patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few months. I think you know that, those of you who were here last week, we're going to be talking about fruit for, for the entire fall. But it's a special kind of fruit. It's what the, the, this, the Apostle Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want you to look at those verses with me. Uh, they're, they're quite well known for longtime churchgoers. Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. So let me ask you two preliminary questions. One, is that one fruit or nine fruits? See, these are, not, these are the kind of questions I ask, these deep questions. One fruit or nine fruits? It's pretty clear from the Bible, because it uses a singular word for fruit, that, that all of these nine traits make up one beautiful fruit. And so, so what the Bible is talking about is when the Spirit of God is at work within us, it develops a way of life, a, one way of life. And if we think, what should it look like? It, it's all these beautiful characteristics growing together. Um, so I thought I would show you sort of a, the anatomy of an apple to, to help you to try to get a, a picture of this. I am not a botanist or a horticulturalist, and I don't even know what some of these words are. My assistant Tiffany said, I don't know what a hypanthium is. Well, there's an arrow there that points you to that. It seems like that's the part I would want uh, to eat, don't you think? Or an endocarp. Uh, I don't need that. But you see, it's one apple... But it has a number of different parts or different aspects to it. Each one of them is absolutely essential. And when an apple grows, it, it all grows. And in a very similar way, the Bible is telling us that when the Spirit of God uh, is at work within us, it, it's not like, well, you know, I, I do pretty well at joy. I'm just, not, I'm, I'm just not good at this gentleness thing or patience thing. I'm really not good at that. No, it, it's the Spirit of God beginning to work these, well, I'll just call it Jesus-like Aren't they? I mean, Jesus-like qualities in our lives. And what the Bible wants to teach us is when we follow Jesus, it's a whole new way of life that begins to develop within us. It doesn't happen in a moment, does it? You should say amen. Because it's not quite developed in any of us. But it's going to happen. And as the Spirit of God... I've thought about this for a long time. I've thought, Lord... I want these characteristics to be true of me and to be true of us as a church so that when people come in, they simply see this beautiful way of life growing within us. And that's why we're going to be spending the entire fall thinking about it and praying about it because it's something that the Spirit of God works within us individually but also together as a church family. Now, here's one of the things I, I want you to notice right now. There's so many things we're going to be looking at over the next uh, number of weeks and months, but one of the things I want you to notice now that the fruit of the Spirit is like other kinds of fruit in many ways, but especially in this way that um, uh, an apple tree produces apples. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen an apple tree that gets up and is, is worried, thinking, Oh no, I'm afraid an avocado is going to pop out on me. Or, or cherries. No, no, no. An apple tree produces apples. And, 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 and the thing is that as God's Spirit is at work within each one of us, we can know that the fruit that's happening, what's happening in our lives, will reflect The kinds of things we see in the very life of Jesus. And when when you read through this entire text, going from verses 13 to 26, you see that when other things are sinking our lives, our own desires, I just live the way I want to, we think it's going to be better, or live the way the world wants me to, it, it, it is a mess. All the works of the flesh, awful sorts of things. You can read about them. That's where it leads. And I, I found another picture because I wanted you to try to think of, about this. There is both rotten fruit and there is, is beautiful fruit. Do you see it? Now, can you imagine sinking your teeth into that, into that rotten apple over there? Well, what kind of life do you want to have? And, and, and the Bible says if you're longing, it's to be the kind of person God made you to be as characterized by those beautiful descriptors in verses 22 and 23, it's going to have to be synced by the Spirit. It's one fruit that, as God's Spirit works in you, it begins to happen. And I'm praying that we'll see growth in that in your life and in in each one of our lives. Now, now I have a second preliminary question. We'll put that verse back up there. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and it goes on. Now, do you think there's a reason why love is the first thing on that list see we have, well, there are too many of us here and you're not awake yet right? the answer again is, is yes it's clear to me both from the context where in verses 13 and 14 he's talking about love summarizing the entirety of the law as well as from the entire New Testament That of all the things that God does in our lives, the the central one, the one that sort of touches everything else that God does, is this quality that is called love. Do you remember that that Jesus, when he was asked about what's the great command, he took all the commands of the Old Testament, and he boiled them down, and he said, well, one part of them is all about love for God, and the second is very much like it. That is love for people. So, love God, love people. So, when you think about it, love affects everything else about us when we follow Jesus. And and as I read this text, he puts love right at the top and writes about love uh, at the beginning. And again, he'll bring it back again at the end. Because if, if we are not seeing love develop within us as individuals and as a church, then everything else will begin to rot. And that's, that's what was happening in this church that Paul was writing this letter to. The thing you've got to realize is when we read these letters, we often pull them out of context. But he was writing this book to a real church just like ours. So I picture him preaching to them just like I'm preaching to you. And, and so he's, he says, okay, you've got to love one another. And it was clear to me when I read this that they weren't loving one another all that much. In fact, if you look at chapter 5, verse 16, they were biting and devouring one another. You ever seen a church like that? Oh, man, I hope there's not a lot. I'm looking. Any dividing and devouring going on right now? Well, what what Paul is saying, and I hope you you see this, he said when when you see lovelessness uh, in your church, pastor, he says to me, if you see that, then you can know that the Spirit of God is not reigning in that place. And I guess I'd want to say to you, if you see that in your own life, lovelessness, no matter what else is happening, you can be sure that the Spirit of God is not sinking your life. So I, I just thought the best thing I can do in talking about this subject that so many people have talked about is just so simply uh, think about we better figure out what love is in the Bible. And then I want to take a few minutes to, to help you see what Jesus says it looks like. And just practically, what does it look like if this is happening? And then third, I, I want to have a, a word at the end about how it might grow in you and me just a practical word or two because that's I've really been struggling to figure out how it actually does grow so I'll take you as far as I have, uh, I have come so let's, let's look at that what love is now if you're going to understand what the Bible says about love you've got to know that the central characteristic of love in the Bible is that it is not self-seeking you with me there? So in 1 Corinthians 13, that's used at so many of our weddings, it just says, love is not self-seeking. But actually, every time you see love in the Bible, that's, it, it is getting away from always being focused upon myself. And in fact, it is not self-seeking, it is self-sacrificial giving. To others, it is always outward. Are you with me here? <laughs> love is really... Living your life in such a way that your main focus is bringing benefit and blessing to the one that you love. Um, more than that, I, I think it is a way of intentionally living my life that the decisions I make, that I pray to God, is that, Father, you're going to give me opportunities to have relationships uh, in my marriage, in my family, at, at work, and other places. Lord, use my life so that I can actually bring benefit to the other person, that, that their life will be better and, and more joy-filled and blessed because their life has, has, has crossed mine. Do you, do you see how different that is from the way the, the world thinks about love? The, love? the world talks about love as if it's really all about me and what I am feeling. Um, there's a book I want to recommend to you in this series. It's a book by a man named Philip Kennison. It's, I think I have a picture of it here for you. It's called Life on the Vine. Uh, I like that title, don't you? It's all about the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, the, I love the subtitle too, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit Within a Christian Community. Because I, I don't think that this happens I mean, within, w- without our relationship to one another. L- love, for example, is a relational term. And so we need one another to have this developed. Well, in, in one of the particular parts of this book, Kennison wrote this, and I'll put it here because I found it to be so powerful. Um, he, he, Ken, I'll say this before I show you this quote. Uh, it's probably already up there. You can read it while I say this to you. One of the main things Kennison says is, listen, um, the context here tells us that if we live by the flesh, if, if, if my decisions are made simply by pleasing myself, uh, it, it's going to lead in the works of the flesh, and they're ugly. Or if you just live the world, lives sink by the way the world thinks, it's going to be ugly. But the fruit of the Spirit is always going to be different from the world. But, but it's hard to live a life that's different from, from the world. So he writes this, cultures like ours encourage us to consider all aspects of our lives in terms of self-interest. So, so how do we cultivate a life marked by God's love. A love that is always directed toward the needs of others. In a culture so thoroughly saturated with self-concern. It, it, it almost makes me feel like, what am I preaching about? That everything you're going to be seeing on television, everything you're going to be... is going to make you uh, want to just live for what makes you happy. And you're going to come to church and the pastor's going to say, no, you're going to have, to have joy when you live others' directed lives. Will it make a difference... It will if the power of God's Spirit keeps working it in your life and in mind. So, the world tells you and me that we don't really even love a person if we don't feel certain things. You've heard all, all the time, well, I used to really feel love for my wife, but I don't feel what I once felt before. You see, it's all me directed. But then when we read the Bible, everything it tells us about God's love is that God's love is always directed toward people like you and me. It is a you and me directed love. I mean, from beginning to end. When we sinned against God, He loved us anyway, and He started this plan. Out of love, to come in the person of Jesus, who left heaven, to come to this world. Out of love. Who sometimes didn't even have a place to place His head. Often was homeless. Living in this difficult world because he loves. Are you with me so far? It keeps going, doesn't it? He goes to the cross and dies, chooses to die in your place and mine out of love. Leaves, gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us out of love. Gives us a church. And as messed up as sometimes we can be because we're imperfect human beings, we're gifts to one another. He's given us one another out of love. It's all, it's all about being us-directed. God's love is never self-interested. Do you see that? This is love. So that uh, John, the Apostle John, once again, I read these things, and I, I feel like they're preaching to me. He's talking to a, a, a group of churches, probably mostly a church in Ephesus, that probably wasn't loving one another and weren't being faithful uh, themselves. And, and in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, uh, this is how we know what love is. How do we know? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how. So we ought also to lay it down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then he applies it. So if anyone has material possessions or resources, and then you see a brother or sister in need, but you have no pity on them, how can the love of God... Be in that person. And then I feel him pounding on the pulpit. (laughs) Dear children, let us not love with words or with mere emotions. Let us love with actions and in truth. Uh, So here in Galatians 5.14, Paul quotes Jesus, and Jesus had quoted Moses, and, 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 and says this, the whole law of God, every command of God, uh, which tells us how to live can be summed up in one phrase, and that is, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." Do you know what we've done to that in the American church? I didn't have any, no answers there. Uh, <laughs> I just can't, sometimes I have to stop for a while to see if anybody's listening to me. Uh, look, let me tell you what we've done to that. We've reinterpreted that phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, in this way. That means, first, you must love yourself. If you don't love yourself, then you can't love anyone else. So, we say, first, focus all of your attention on self-esteem and self-love. Then maybe you'll have time to love somebody else. Listen to me now. That is not what Jesus was saying. That is not what he was saying. That self-centered beginning is nothing like the love of God. What is he saying? He's saying every uh, normally functioning human being that when you and I have a need, we want to meet it. You know that's true, don't you? I mean, if I'm hungry... I want to go get some food. Anybody else with me on this? <laughs> uh, if I'm sleepy and tired, I want to go and get some rest. I mean, that's just a natural thing. That's what I want to do to meet that need. Uh, if I feel depressed or lonely, I want to fill feel, feel that emptiness. So that's, that's the way we are. And he said, just like you focus on those things, making sure those needs are met, so make sure when somebody else is brought across your path, Focus your attention on on their needs and you're really going to live. That's what Jesus is saying. Focus your life on others and you'll come out of yourself and you'll really live. So I'll just tell you, when you live a life synced by the Spirit of God, the first thing you're going to see developing within you is beginning to turn away from living life every day, always concerned about do I have this? Or you're going to turn away? Start turning away from that. It's a process, and more and more you're going to long to have your life bring blessing to other people. That's what love is. Now, now, what does it look like? What does it look like? And so in Galatians 5:13, Paul tells us to love one another humbly in love. Love one another. It really should be seen in our church. Now, I've got to say this. When he tells us, okay, love one another humbly and loved, he, he's not telling us, okay, here are the rules for what you have to do to serve like this. Um, one, two, three, four, five. Keep all of those rules and make other people happy and then that's what love is about. That's, that's not what he's saying. What, what he's saying is when we think about the love of God toward us, then do what God has done and just open yourself up to the lives of other people and, and pray that God would help you to see people and notice them and enter into their lives uh, and begin to ask if he can help you to meet their needs. So, so what does that look like? So I thought the best thing I could do is to take you to how Jesus answered that. And, 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 the, and the best place is, is the well-known story of the Good Samaritan Now I know that we have a lot of people who come to Lake at times that that don't go to church very often and you might not know the story of the Good Samaritan but I'm guessing that you probably do. He introduced the story, it's in Luke 10 verses 25 to 37 and in verse 25, here's the setting On one occasion, there was an expert in the law who stood up to test Jesus. Rabbi, he said what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And I've got to tell you, this lawyer was not quite the same as a lawyer in our day for all of you who are lawyers what he was, he was an expert in all of God's laws especially the Matthew, uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus Numbers, Deuteronomy, a lot of law. he knew all about them and so he knew that and so as, as Jesus so often did he took that question what do I have to do to really live the way God wants me to live and he turned the question back on him oh you know all of God's laws how do you read it and he answered it right well, summarizing them all, we're supposed to love God with all of our beings and then love our neighbors as ourself. And Jesus says, good, do that and you'll really live. <laughs> but nobody can do that perfectly, and he knew that. So to justify himself, he said, who, who is my neighbor? And that led to this powerful story of what love really looks like in this world. You know what I thought I would do? Instead of reading you that story... Um, I've been trying to think about how would Jesus tell that story to us here at Lake Avenue Church. So I wrote this down. A businessman who was a member of Lake Avenue Church was taking a trip down to the south side of Los Angeles and he decided one day to go through Skid Row. When he did, his his car stalled and then he was grabbed, pulled out, beaten, robbed, and left to die on the street. But it seemed providential that the new pastor of outreach from his own church <laughs> was going through Skid Row that evening because he was meeting with a group of other Southern California outreach pastors to plan an evangelistic outreach ministry to the homeless. So the outreach pastor saw the man, but he didn't take time to stop to find out his identity. He, he just drove on past because he was leading the planning meeting. He didn't have time to stop. Well, a few minutes later, it was good that the senior pastor of Lake Avenue Church (laughs) drove down the same street because he was headed to the Union Rescue Mission down on San Pedro Street and director Andy Bales had asked him to speak at a fundraiser on the theme the importance of helping those who are hurting. (laughs) But the pastor was late for the appointment So he hardly even noticed that there was a man crumpled over there and bleeding on the street. So he drove past. I'm going to stop for a minute. (laughs) At this point, you know, Jesus introduced the third man passing by the hurting man who'd been left to die. Now remember that Jesus had been speaking to this Jewish leader and, and, and knew the laws so well. So the one that Jesus chose to be the good guy, you know, the protagonist in the story... For this man was the most offensive good guy protagonist that he possibly could have chosen. You've got to know that the Jewish people in in the day of Jesus usually lumped all Samaritans into one big group. They're all unethical, they're all immoral, they're all, they don't care a bit about God's laws like we do. So he, in choosing a Samaritan to be the good guy, J- Jesus was choosing the person who would have offended everybody in the entire synagogue. So I thought, with that in mind, whom would Jesus choose if he was telling this story to us? Who would offend every one of us? Well, one of the things... I have talked with Meyer, I've talked with a lot of you about this, and some of you said, well, our group, our church has become so diverse that I don't know if we can pick one person who would offend everybody. Would you pick Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? (laughs) Would you pick? Would would you pick? I mean, again, would you pick a a gang leader, Crips or or Bloods, or would you a drug dealer? Would you pick somebody who's on a different view of of the same-sex issues or some? Who would we pick? So, who would offend you the most? Put that person into this story. And, and, and that person, when your pastors had passed by, stopped, noticed, saw the man, uh, took time to use his resources to help the man, took him over to the USC hospital, and came, promised to come back the next day to make sure that the needs are met. Do you see what Jesus is doing in this story? He's trying to shock people like you and me. He's trying to shock Otherwise religious people who so often then would go to synagogue, people like us who go to church, and understanding that you and I, you know this already. You and I can go to church. We can know everything in the entire Bible and still not live the very heart of what's in this Bible. Do you know that's true? I know I can preach this sermon and then just ignore somebody who has desperate needs. I know I can do this. I know you can come and listen to the sermon and then go right back home. And treat your spouse or your kids or your parents or, or anybody who crosses your path in the street in the same way you did before. I know that. So I, I, that's why I've been asking, how, how can we kind of shake ourselves up the way Jesus did so that he says the heart of everything that is here is that we get about out of ourselves and use whatever God gives us. So what does it look like? Okay, with that story... If the Spirit of God is sinking your life and and you begin to love as Jesus loved, you're going to count it your calling, even your privilege, personally, to show God's love to people. I I keep thinking these two religious professionals were like me, caretakers by profession. But they were not caretakers by by heart's conviction. I I just thought, if... uh, Somebody had shown up at their synagogue, they would have given him the forms to fill out, uh, fill these things out, and find out if he was worthy of of getting some help. But when they actually had the opportunity themselves to meet a need, they didn't have any interest in that whatsoever. So I I just want to say this to us. When the Spirit of God is beginning to produce His fruit in you, one of the ways you're going to know that you're alive to God is that he's going to begin planting this Jesus like, others centered love in you. And I'll tell you, when that love begins to grow in you and, and you begin to engage in it, you'll love it. And it will happen more and more through you. Uh, so that's the first thing. You, as you see that, you, you find it's my calling. God has placed me in this, here in this world. My calling, my privilege personally to show God's love. To those in my path, you'll know the Spirit of God is at work, uh, too. What does it look like? Uh, You'll not limit the kinds of people you're willing to help. Because isn't it natural for us uh, to to, to show... Love to, to try to meet needs of people we know and, and, and people in our family and people in our church and that's good and that is right there's a place for that but you, you, you can't get away from the fact that Jesus fashions this story in such a way to show us that God's heart is for all people do you see that? is that clear? so when you and I walk with God you'll know it because your heart and mine will become like Jesus' was The good guy in the story, the Samaritan, showed love to a man who was his natural enemy. Now I can imagine all the excuses that the uh, priest and Levite would have made. Well, it's his own fault. He shouldn't have been on that road anyway. What was he doing driving down Skid Row? Uh, Well, I don't know the man. I mean, if he was in my Sunday school class or in my family, then I might help him. And I'm sure you know the excuses like those have kept church people over the generations from really meeting needs of people in distress. So I'll just tell you what I tell you all the time. Jesus is the Lord of this church. Amen? And the Lord of our church tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves and then he tells us a story telling me that my neighbor is anybody he brings across my path. Anybody for whom Jesus died. And that's anybody. (laughs) And when the Spirit of God is producing that fruit in us, we're not going to limit the people that we think are worthy of our love. Three. Five. What what does this love look like? You will really seek to meet needs when you have opportunity, and find joy in it. Find joy in it. In fact, I think what will happen is you and I will wake up in the morning and say, "Lord, my life is yours today. I don't know who you're going to bring across my path." Father, help me to enter in and, and notice them, to see them. And, and if there's something I have that might be able to help meet that need, Father, I, I, I make it available to you to show your love through that. Don't you think if this priest and Levite had prayed that that morning, it might have changed what happened as they saw that man that day? Do you think so? I, I, I'm so sure of it. I'm so sure of it. How much of a priority should this sort of others-directed Jesus-like love play in your life and in mine? I just got to remind you that, that Jesus said that of all of the laws in the entire Bible, when you boil them down, it's love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself, and this is what it looks like. I just thought we can do a lot of good stuff as individual Christians, and so we should. Amen? (laughs) We can do a lot of good stuff as a church, but this is the heart of the matter. If if this isn't happening, the Spirit of God is not ruling in this place. And and life lived that way. According to Jesus, that's how you really live, and that's what Paul was talking about in Galatians 5, 13 to 16. Uh, Life lived by self interest he said it's like slavery he said you think it's going to set you free but it's slavery you'll just need more and more if you just focus on living your life to make yourself happy as I told you he said and a church of of us if we come only what do I get out of it focusing upon ourselves instead of coming to worship and focus on God and looking at the people around us and saying can I bless these people around me uh, a church that says, well, did I like that? What did I get out of that? I didn't like that piece, did you? He said, that's going to be an awful church. It'll be a place where people are biting and devouring one another, he says. Or in verse 26, a, a place where people provoke one another and envy one another. But, but, but a church of people where the Spirit of God is at work and, and, and who are following the commands of Jesus will be a community, he says, of joy, peace, peace kindness, gentleness, and all the beautiful aspects of the fruit. And and he said, the world will walk in and they say, oh, I don't don't know if I understand all this, but there's something different here. They will know we are Christians by our love. Our our time is gone, but I do want to at least give you a a few ways that love might grow in you. You know what I thought? Most pastors, especially when he says, serve one another in love, want to come and give you a whole bunch of do's and don'ts, here's what I want you to do. You've got to go serve in the children's ministry, and you've got to come up and talk with Nancy about mentoring in the community, and we've got a lot of needs in our high school, and we need more people. So I want to give you a bunch of rules. Here's what you've got to do, and and I I bet I could guilt you into doing it. But I don't think it would produce love because... uh, the people of Israel had the best rules and commands imaginable. They loved them. Their whole psalms all about them. They, they knew that this life of loving God and loving people was good and beautiful. They only had one problem. You know what it was? They couldn't live that way. <laughs> they couldn't live that way. Do this and you shall live. Well, they 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 were unable to live that way. And what Galatians 5 is about is what rules can't restrict in us and keep us from doing what all of my own human desire can't, can't passionately motivate me to do the Spirit of God can. And that when you and I believe in Jesus you and I become people of the Spirit. And what we can't do and what rules can't do the Spirit of God can. With God nothing is impossible. So then uh, what what shall we do so that the fruit might be nurtured? Well, I'll give you a few challenges at least. I think you... Well, I put it this way. I want today to be a new beginning in our walk with Jesus for, each, for you and for each one of us. How did I write it? A new beginning of repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus. Do you remember the first time, if, if you are a Christian, that... You gave your sins to him and really heard him say, Your sins I will remember no more. I died to be able to forgive you. Do you remember that? Do you remember thinking, Oh, that's true. Anything, Lord, I just want, want to follow you. I think sometimes we, especially those of us who have known him a long time, need to stop again and remember the cross. Like the first day you believed. I, I think the only thing that will motivate people like me and you, longtime churchgoers, to live a life of love is knowing deep down that someone who owes you and me nothing has given his life to save us. Somebody saved us only because he loved us. You know that? Only when we believe that and experience that will will we become people who treat people the way the Samaritan treated people. We have to be stunned by the fact that someone you once rejected because of your sin loved you enough to keep coming after and, and bringing you into his family. Is it possible for you to say, Lord, as the very first time I ever heard, I believe. Thank you. Then, challenge two. This week, begin each day asking God to open your eyes to the needs of others. Do you think, is it possible to love somebody if you don't pay any attention to them? I don't think so. So, see it uh, and then be willing to take those first steps of entering in and see how the Spirit of God leads you. Challenge three. In your morning prayer, and I pray you'll do that, not only pray that he'll open your eyes to see others, but take time, and this may seem weird to you at first, in your prayer to stop and acknowledge the presence of God's Spirit in your life. Do you ever do that? Lord, I know you are not just out there. You are here. You are here. And so today, make me so aware of that that when I make decisions, that decision will be synced by your spirit rather than just what the world tells me to do. Make, will you make that consciously a part of your prayer? Lord, make me aware of the fact that your spirit dwells within me and lead me. Slow me down enough so that my steps and my words and my decisions are, are directed by your spirit. And then if you make some commitment like that to renew uh, your walk with God, I want you to share that commitment with a Christian friend or with your small group if you're in one. Because we have to do this together with other people. I need accountability. I need other people praying for me because my natural tendency is to just live for myself. That's my, that's my natural tendency. And so this kind of life always involves others. Remember the... Um, uh, the subtitle of that book I recommended is It's Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit in Christian Community. And so maybe you could begin now. Um, when you think about coming to church each week, come with a goal of, of really being outward, loving God with your worship. Find a way, whether you like the song or not, find a way... <laughs> to praise God, get out of yourself, and, and then instead of just thinking, did I get anything out of it, look around you and find somebody out in the plaza or here that you might be able to, to bless by a word, by a smile. Um, and then leave church with that same commitment. Uh, begin now to live a Jesus-synced, Spirit-led Life of love. Don't you think the world be, would be different if all of us here at Lake Avenue Church, I mean the hundreds of us who are here, would, would live with a desire to bring blessing to others? I, I think sometimes older people whose families, are, uh, they're the only ones left and they feel so lonely, they, they, would, they would feel community. Uh, I think our marriages would definitely be stronger, don't you think? If, if we lived others' directed lives instead of self-centered lives. I think victims of unemployment, I think that the challenges that we face in our neighborhood, that our foundation is so central in helping us to fight. I could go on, on and on and on. Because no matter where you and I look in this world, there is need. And, and you and I have been placed here. This church has been planted here for many reasons. But I think The biggest one is to show to the world the, the others-directed love of Jesus. A life synced by the Spirit begins with love. And it will be to His glory. Amen. Let let me lead us in prayer. Father, we see this is the heart. This is the heart of every command that you've given us. So we want to listen carefully. But Father, we are um, needy people ourselves. And mostly we need Your Spirit to change us, to make us different from the way we would be if we didn't know You, to make us different from the world as a whole. The whole world is longing to see this kind of love. We know that. So, Father, I just pray uh, that this powerful, life-changing work of the Spirit might be seen in our individual lives, in our marriages, families, and in our church. Fill this place with your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.